you're listening to Going Places. I'm your host, Kara Orbell. I initially started this podcast to learn more about the ins and outs of travel. Eventually, I discovered there's so much more to a person than where they go. My goal is to learn more from people who are going places. I've interviewed community leaders, entrepreneurs, veterans, authors, and experts who tell fascinating stories and give amazing advice. Thanks for tuning in, and I can't wait to see where you go. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Going Places. I'm your host, Kara Orbell, and today I'm talking to Aaron Golub. Aaron is a keynote speaker, and he's the first legally blind athlete to play football in a Division I game at Tulane University. He also became an NFL free agent, and he is really paving the way for people with disabilities. His mindset is so powerful, and I'm so excited to talk to him today. Thank you for being on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Excited to chat and and share my message with your audience. Yeah, of course. So let's start from the very beginning. So what was it like growing up outside of Boston? You know, it was a great area and enjoyed uh, living there. You know, typical, not nothing, nothing special, I'd I'd say, Uh, you know, but it was it was nice. It was, you know, I, I liked Boston. I still like Boston. I actually just moved away from Boston again, but I'm sure I'll be back one day. Yeah. So you mentioned in one of your interviews that you were often picked last in sports and I can totally empathize with that experience. How, what was that like in school? Yeah. You know, challenging at first, I tried every single sport under the sun growing up, whether it been baseball, basketball, hockey, soccer, and nothing really stuck. I wasn't really good at anything. And, you know, I, I loved football. I, I, you know, watched football. I ended up, you know, trying football. And, you know, I'm sure we'll get into that at some point of, you know, I wasn't very good in the beginning there either. But, yeah. you know, on, on all those other sports, it was, you know, just none of them were a good fit. You know, picked last in, in school, didn't really play when I was on teams. You know, it just wasn't, uh, you know, the right fit for me. Hmm. What is your least favorite sport? To play or to watch? Either. I mean, it, it's, that's such a good question because it just depends. Like I'm, I'm yeah. never going to sit down and like watch golf, but I love playing golf. Okay. So it just, it just depends. Interesting. Okay. So you started playing football in seventh grade. What was yep. it like? You mentioned that you weren't very good at it, but what was it like finally picking up the sport? Yeah. You know, um, during my sophomore year is when I started to kind of shift and, and get better in the sense of I was you know freshman, sophomore year of high school, middle school, I didn't really play a ton. Um, yeah. Sophomore year, I was a third string junior varsity athlete, you know, mm-hmm. third string center, defensive tackle, didn't really play. And I really had this shift in me that said, I want more. I want to play. I want to mm-hmm. play at the highest level I can. And I found long snapping. And yeah. I realized if I got good enough at this unique niche position, then there might be an opportunity for me to play at a really high level. And you know, that's what I focused on from then on out. But, hmm. you know, it was definitely challenging. It was exciting. It was, you know, I, I always loved the sport enough clearly to be willing to play, but not, you know, play on the field much. Um, and then once I, you know, really found long snapping and started getting good at it, I think the just enjoyment grew because I found a way for me to get really good at, you know, the sport that I was playing and, and enjoying. Yeah. I have a tough question, but what advice would you give to a seventh grader sitting on the bench right now? Just be patient and keep trying. You know, I think that so many of us in life, whether it be in athletics, business, 
relationships, any area wants the end result right here, right now. And oftentimes you're going to try something and fail 5,000 times and you're going to succeed on the 5,001 time. The problem that most people face is they do something 32 times. They do something 47 times. And if they had just stuck till 48, they would have seen success. You know, I can't tell you how many you know business opportunities I've you know tried to start or, or be involved with that haven't succeeded until I eventually found things that work for me. I can't tell you how many sports I tried until I eventually found one that worked for me. It's just it's you never know when and where that's going to come from, and so continuing to try, continuing failing, and just learning from your mistakes and adjusting is so important. That is excellent advice. So you had a big mindset shift when you decided to play football as a sophomore in college, when you decided as a sophomore to play in college, what was it like changing really your lifestyle, getting up at 5.00 AM, changing your whole mindset? I mean, that must've been hard as a sophomore in high school. Yeah. So my perspective was if I want to be better than everyone else or as good as everyone else, I need to work 10, 20, 30 times harder than them. And so I would wake up at 5 a.m. every day, practice long snapping, go to school, go yeah. to practice with the team, lift weights every single evening by myself. And, wow. you know, for me, it was, I understood what I wanted and I had the goal in mind and I used, you know, internal motivation as, as I call it to get there. And mm-hmm. I think so many people are put in a situation where they have a goal in mind or, or whatever it is. And they focus on the external side of it, the external motivation, why mm-hmm. other people want them to do it, why other people say they can't do it, whatever that is. And, and external motivators can get you, you know, to a certain point, you know, they can push you through a day or maybe even a week. You know, if I go to the gym and I want to squat heavy weight, I'm going to think about something that's an external motivator, something that pisses me off for that 30 or 60 seconds to help me lift that weight. But mm-hmm. if you want to do something in the long term, you have to focus on the internal motivators and the internal motivators are, why do you want to do this for you? And so for me, it was, I wanted to play football at the highest level possible to prove to myself that I can do it. I didn't care what anyone else thought. I didn't care what their opinions were, what their judgments were. It genuinely didn't matter to me. What I wanted was how can I do this for myself? And I think that when you can find that in any area of life, you're much more likely to succeed. That's really good advice. So you ended up at Tulane and why did you pick Tulane? Yeah. So when it came to the college recruiting process, senior year of high school, I was ranked as one of the top long snappers in the country and one of the top overall prospects in Massachusetts, but it's not like I was a quarterback. And so I didn't have 5,000, you know, college coaches knocking on my door every single day. I, you know, had some people reach out, but a lot of it was, I had to do the outreach, especially for the division one schools. Mm -hmm. And so I called emailed every coach in the country several times I cold called all the coaches. I showed up on a handful of campuses, just trying to meet with coaches. You know, I did whatever I could until people told me no or didn't respond. And I only had a couple offers, you know, Tulane university of Illinois were the, were the biggest ones. And Tulane was just a really good fit. You know, they were totally fine with my vision. They were totally fine with me playing. Um, It was a really good fit in the size of the school and the location and you know, just everything going on there. I felt like it was just a a really good opportunity, a good fit for, for everything involved, not just athletically, but academically where it was in in the country and and just a place I wanted to go. Yeah. So you studied finance and legal studies. Mm -hmm. I feel like your experience reaching out to recruiters really translated to the business world. I mean, you, you knew how to market yourself at such a young age in a way that no one else would. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it was teaching myself sales before I understood business. You know, it was, I don't care how many times it takes, you're going to either say yes or say no. And trust me, I'm sure I pissed off several coaches when I would call, you know, unquote, call them a million times. It's the same thing today in business. Like, do you know the amount of times I get told no, or to, you know, stop effing emailing me or calling like every single day. If I don't get that by like 10 AM, then I'm not doing my job every day. Um, (laughs) And it's just like, you got to learn to roll off the punches and, and take no. The issue that I think most people have is like, they're so sensitive to other people's thoughts, other people's feelings, other people's opinions and judgments. And like, you try and ask for something or do something, someone tells you no, and you get hurt by it. Yeah. You know, I, the way I see it is like, if I get 17 no's, I'm 17 no's closer to the person who's going to say yes to me. And when you're able to think like that, then you're able to get, you know, get that yes eventually. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That's really good advice. So, okay. Walk me through October 3rd, 2015, when you were able to play D1 for the first time in a game, what was that like? Yeah. So my sophomore year uh, against the university of central Florida, I played for the first time, like you said, and, you know, didn't, didn't play at all. My, my freshman year hadn't played yet my sophomore year until that day. And, you know, it was exciting. It was thrilling. You know, I had a pretty good feeling that I was going to play soon just based on some you know, circumstances with the team and how I was doing, you know, in practice and in the weight room and everything and, and the attention I was getting from my coaches lately. And so mm-hmm. I had a feeling that was going to come sooner or later and I got an opportunity and was just, you know, really excited about it, but I had to treat it like every other play. The thing with the long mm-hmm. snapper is, you know, same as a kicker. If you go in and you're too excited, or too nervous, you're going to mess up. And so mm-hmm. I just had to focus on, you know, doing the thing that I've done tens of thousands of times each and every day, go out there, take some deep breaths and just snap the ball and, you know, not worry about anything else around me. That makes sense. How did your coaches shape your career? Did you have any important coaches who really impacted your entire time playing football? No, I think I had a handful uh, and at different stages. You know, in high school, one of my, you know, my head football coach was great. Uh, this guy is named Steve Burden, who I played football with his son. You know, his entire family were, you know, professional athletes and Every morning in the school, it was, you know, me, my dad practicing long snapping and he and his son practicing. His son was a quarterback. Uh-huh. Um, and it was just the four of us, you know, playing, practicing every morning. And, yeah. you know, he was, he was, you know, very good at, you know, if I had a bad snap, he would yell over to me and tell me to fix it or tell me to do pushups or tell me to run a lap or, you know, whatever to help get me in, you know, uh, to understand what it means to be an excellent snapper. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was very effective in, in high school. And then college, I think I just... I had great coaches from my strength staff to, you know, the head coaches that I, that I played under that, that were going to give me an opportunity and, and, and everyone involved. Hmm. What was the biggest lesson you learned from college? Yeah. So two months after I played for the first time, my coaching staff got fired because we went three and nine, my freshman, sophomore year, it was time for them to move on. And so we hired a new staff, uh, Coach Willie Fritz, who's still there. He came from Georgia Southern, which today is a great friend and mentor of mine. But at the time, I was super nervous and anxious because I had contact with every school in the country. And, you know, they didn't give me a shot before. Why would they give me a shot now? Oh. And so at that time, at that moment, I was considering transferring schools to play somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I was considering quitting playing football. I just, I built this anxiety up in my head of like, they're automatically going to say no and not going to want to work with me because this is what happened in the past. 
Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest lessons there are like your past doesn't equal your present. And mm-hmm. the more you build up anxiety or you build something up in your head, the more anxiety you cause yourself. The longer you wait to have a conversation, the longer you wait to take action, the more anxiety, fear, nervousness that that grows within you. And so I sat down with him and we had a great discussion. But he was unsure at first as well. And then and we came to an agreement that if let's try spring ball, if it didn't work out, we'd have this conversation again. We did spring ball. We never had that conversation again. Two years later, I was named captain during my senior year. And so I think it's really just focusing on like, stop waiting, take yeah. action now. Don't worry about, you know, build, stop building these things up in your head and, and just go after the, the conversation, the action, whatever you need to take. But, you know, most people overthink all of those areas and you know clearly back then I did it first too but it's something that I think I really learned and and benefited from from that situation Mm -hmm. when you're in a new experience I mean you you left the finance world and we'll we'll dive back into that I'm kind of jumping you left the finance world about two months ago so you're kind of in a new place now how are you coping with avoiding overthinking things and just kind of jumping into action yeah honestly I don't you know out of school I Went to the world of finance yeah. and alongside of that, I built a business for myself as a speaker. Okay. Um, over time, realized that like speaking is fun. I can make good money, hmm. but in order to scale it, I would have to think of it differently because I never wanted to travel 365 days a year. And so I also realized simultaneously that like finance is great. I really like some portions of it. And like, I'm not opposed to down the road doing something within finance as well, but like, I love the entrepreneurship side. So like, if I were to ever go back into that world, it would be like, I would start a private equity fund or I would start a venture capital fund. I I don't, I never want to be back into where I was. I'm not saying I will even do those things, but like, yeah, I have 5,000 ideas of businesses across my head every single day. And, you know, I need to keep myself focused on what I'm building right here, right now, because there's like a million things I could, go out and build. And I just clearly don't have time for them. And I wouldn't yeah. make any progress if I did. So if anyone huh. wants business ideas, send me a message. Um, <laughs> but the, the point there is like, when I left finance, I left because I started to transition into building a business that would allow me to help scale my speaking in a different way. And yes. so create a company called Initiate Connections that I'll announce on LinkedIn probably later this week or next week. I mean, it's, it's out there. I've said it on podcasts. People know what I just haven't made like a social media post about it. Um, and so basically what the format of this company is, is, is three areas, speaking workshops and consulting. And so we're working with a handful of other speakers, but to be clear, we're not a speaking bureau. So we're not going to have 50 or hundred or 500 speakers listed on our website. We're going to have 10 or so professional athletes, fortune 500 executives on high profile entrepreneurs that we work with, that we're close with, that we trust that can talk, talk on, or work with our core topics. And so companies can book myself or one of our other, you know, six to 12 uh, team members, so to speak, to come in and do a speech. They can book us to come do like a one to three day workshop on certain topics where we bring in a handful of our speakers to do small group sessions, keynotes, things of that nature, or the part that we're really, you know, we've, we've done a handful of and we're trying to build out more because it's obviously the highest ticket one is consulting where mm-hmm. a company hires us to a six, 12 month type contract. And cool. during that, we work with them on, let's just take, for example, one of our core topics is leadership development, where we work with them on leadership development through a variety of in-person and virtual events. Some of them being keynotes by myself or other athletes or executives, some mm-hmm. small group workshops to help really form that, 
development and some maybe one-on-one sessions as well, but a variety tailored towards the needs of the organization. And so building out those different areas is a lot of fun. There's more, you know, to come down the road with it at some point, probably in 2023, we'll, we'll create our own events, both virtual and or in person. You know, there's, there's other areas with it of like, I've thought about considering, um, creating a consulting offer that's similar, but different in the sense of like helping other people who are speakers, but not like flourishing speakers yet build their business as a speaker. So we have like the main business right now. And that's the only Mm -hmm. thing I'm focusing on for the next six to nine months, but come 2023, we will probably add on other offers and other opportunities within that once we bring on team members and grow to a certain point. Yeah. Interesting. So when did this first start? When did this idea for the business start? You know, I'd say like probably January-ish was when I realized like, look, I, speaking is great, but I want to scale it to a different level, not Mm -hmm. only to make a lot more money, but to build an actual business. You know, yes, I was building a business as a speaker, but like, I don't know. It's not like a company, so to speak, in, yeah. in, in my opinion. And, you know, my goal is I want to build a hundred million dollar company. And Ooh. that's, that's what I'm trying to do with this and be like, you know, one of the you know leading corporate consulting and speaking companies out there. And that's going to take 15, 20 years. But the way I see it is like, look at someone like John Gordon or someone like Tony yeah. Robbins or someone like, I don't know, those types of individuals what their business is right now is where I see this going in 10 years from now. Now it's going to be a long way until I get to that level, but yeah. I think it's very doable down the road. So I know I can ask you this question, but what are you doing every single day to get to that goal? So much random stuff. It's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Like it, it's, it's my girlfriend has no idea what I do every day. It's, it's a combination of like doing outreach, hopping on calls, yeah. Doing speeches, like hmm. playing around on Twitter. Like it's, it, it's ridiculous. Like trying to grow social media. Like it's, it's so much random stuff. Like you never thought that like part of my business would be like engaging with people on Twitter that I want to get to know, but like, yes, I do that every single day. Okay. Oh, I like that. So you, speaking of speaking, you have been on eight TEDx stages. That's incredible. I think that's the most I've ever heard. What was that experience like for you? Yeah. So to start and and anyone who's listening, I'm happy to walk you through this. Getting on a TEDx stage is a lot simpler than you think it is. And so I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's simpler. And so I did it during COVID. I was like, there's not as many speaking engagements or in-person ones, at least in the beginning. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, how can I continue to get my message out to grow my platform and at first I was like, let's get on like two TED, Ted talks. Let's do two Ted talks. And <laughs> candidly, like, I think of those eight or maybe I've done nine. I honestly don't know at this point. Oh um, maybe it's eight. I think it's, probably, <laughs> um, I think only two or three of them were in person and most of them are virtual, which okay. made it a lot easier. But yeah. the goal in the beginning was like, let's get on like two. Mm-hmm. And it's the same concept I'll run you through of like when someone applies to a job out of college and someone gets like, Oh, okay. I want to go into investment, investment banking. I want to work at Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley. Mm-hmm. And they submit their application. They don't get it. And they're shocked. I'm like, are you, you're shocked that you out of 10,000 people <laughs> that are all similar, didn't get that job. I'd like, come on. But <laughs> if you find out who 
is in charge of that job, find out who's hiring for it. You send them a cold email, you send them a LinkedIn message, you send them a Facebook message, you send them a Twitter DM, and you comment on something about themselves, you do research on them, your chances to get that position go up like 10,000 fold because you took the time, you took the effort to go above and beyond what everyone else did. So what I did was I found the, you know, TEDx coordinators for everyone in the United States that were putting on events from like, I think I started this in like January of 2020 or something um, or 2021. I don't remember which year I did it in. Um, And I was like, everyone who's hosting an event this year, I'm going to reach out to. So I found like hundreds of people and I found their emails, their LinkedIn's, their Instagram's, their Twitter's. I just did exactly that. I just sent them all my info. Sometimes they were like, Hey, can you apply? And a lot of the time they were like, Oh, very cool. You know, let's hop on a call. You know, yes, I didn't hear back from most of them, but you know, I probably heard back from, if I got on eight, I probably heard back from 25, you know, it's just, it's, and that's, that's the way to do it. Same with like outreach for a business. Like I send out tons of emails every single day and 95% 95% of them, 98% of them, probably I never get responses on. Hmm. I like that mindset you have, and it's carried through from your football career to now of just, you, you won't, if you don't take a shot, you can't get anywhere. I love that. Yeah. And how you still, even in your business do that. Yeah. That's yeah I appreciate amazing. that. Yeah. That's incredible. So uh, I listened to a few of your Ted talks and I really liked the idea of the 25th hour. Can you explain what that is? Yeah. So it's, it's funny because a lot of those talks, the topics are like, they pick the topics. So I don't actually pick the topic. Um, It's like, it's like the topic of the event. um, And then I have to form a speech around that for a lot of them. And so I, I don't, I, I, that was definitely, yeah, that was their topic. And so I had to come, it, it was like, what does that mean to you or something? And so Honestly, I can't remember hundred percent what it was about, but I'm going to take my best shot. And, and honestly, this will probably be better off you know, just winging it. But from my understanding, what I talked about was like, we only have so much time within the day. And mm-hmm. so when you can learn how to manage your time, compress your time, you can get done, you know, 25 hours, 30 hours, 40 hours in a day with someone else, you know, takes three days to do. And so the way I think of it is like, when you learn to truly map out, when you learn to time block, when you learn to prioritize, when you learn to critically think, you know, I can get done in one day what a lot of people will do a week, do in a week, because I understand how time works. And anyone can learn that. It's a skill. But mm-hmm. most people just procrastinate most of their day. You know, if you're in the office, you, you walk around, you talk to people, you go to the water, you go to the bathroom, you do you take all these breaks and you just, you know, waste half your day or you're at home and you're like, Oh, let's watch TV for an hour. Or, you know, let's go take the dog on a two hour walk. And you know, if you can understand how to actually control your time, you can get so much more done. Now I might be completely off to what I actually talked about on that speech, but if I were to give that speech right now, that's what I would give. I like that. That's interesting. How do you approach the idea of burnout? Cause I know that's a common trend in especially the workplace, but also entrepreneurship right now? Yeah. So I think there's two sides to it. The first side is like, if you truly love what you're doing, you're not going to get burnt. Like, yes, you're going to get burnt out by certain things. There are certain tasks that I don't want to do every day. Like I don't want to respond to emails every day. I don't want to deal with like social media content every day. Like there's just things that I don't like doing. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like 
the grand picture of what I'm building, like I am so driven to a, and first and most importantly, help and impact millions of people. You know, that's, that's the number one goal. But right after that is like, I want to leave a legacy for myself and I want to build a incredibly massive company. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, I need to just fight through the crap every single day. But I love what mm-hmm. I'm doing. The second that like I don't enjoy it, I'm going to stop doing it. Like yeah. out of college, I thought I wanted to be a financial advisor managing billions of dollars. And I wanted to be you know, one of the top financial advisors in the country. Now I did that for, you know, four years, five years, whatever it was, realized that like, okay, this is interesting. It's cool. But like, it's not for me long-term. I was never going to get to the point that I managed a billion dollars because I just didn't enjoy it enough. Um, Now I understand there's circumstances that you may not love your job. You may not enjoy it. And so it might not be, you're in a position to actually love hundred percent what you do. Now everyone's different. And so when it comes to burnout in that situation and someone who's like in a nine to five or in the workplace or just has outside circumstances, it's, it's about taking breaks. It's about setting your environment correctly. And so taking breaks throughout the day, taking short walks, you know, going to the gym, setting your environment around you, you know, where's your workspace? Is your workspace super cluttered? You know, what can you do to break up your day and to, you know, have things to look forward to at the end of the day, at the end of the week, throughout the day, Um, and finding like little things that you can enjoy within it, because like, yes, I didn't like being a financial advisor that much, but there were things about it that I liked. Like, I loved building the business. I loved finding new clients. That's what drove me within it is helping people and building the business. I didn't enjoy a lot of the backend stuff, but I could find pockets of things that I did like. And I think that at any job in any career, even if you hate it, you can find pockets of things that you do like. That's really good advice. I like that a lot. So I only have a few more questions, um, but I am wondering, do you still wake up at 5 a.m. every morning? So, yes, I when I was in Boston, as we discussed, I just moved to L.A. When I was in Boston, I would get up at 5 a.m. every day and go to the gym. Um, In L.A., it's not clear like what I'm specifically going to do, but I still get up at like 5, 530. Um, The issue is like, I go back, it depends on my schedule is like some days I get up and I go to the gym. Some days I get up and I get to work because like, if someone, if a company wants to talk to me at 9am Eastern, 6am Pacific, like if it's going to lead to me getting a keynote or a consulting job, like, of course I'm going to do it. And so some days here, like I haven't gone to the gym yet today. I'm going to go to the gym after this, you know, recording is done because Mm -hmm. that's just how my schedule is like. And it's, it's, I'm getting used to the time difference. It's, it's definitely yeah. an adjustment and I haven't figured it out completely and I'll still be getting up early, but my structure of the day might be different. Now I do like going to the gym in the morning, but I might just have to accept the fact that like, if I'm having calls at six, six thirty seven because that's, you know, a good time Eastern, then, you know, I just have to go later at that. Yeah. They say that entrepreneurs, like when, when you are an entrepreneur, when you're starting your own business, it never leaves. You're with it hundred percent of the day. Has that been true with your experience mm-hmm. as well? Yeah. I'm very bad at turning it off. Um, I, and, and I don't necessarily think that's necessarily like a bad thing. Like, yes, I try and be, you know, I'm present with everything I do, you know, if I'm spending time with family or friends or my girlfriend or whoever. You know, it's about being present with them right there that we're now instead of like thinking about the business, but like, yeah, so often, you know, I, I am thinking about this because it is my passion. It is my, 
I, I'm obsessed with it. Like you can't, I, I think that when you're an entrepreneur, the, the way you see who's successful and is not is like, are they passionate about their project? Or are they obsessed with it? And Ooh. I think passion creates hobbies. Obsession creates success because, you know, you can be pat like I'm passionate about, you know, football still. I'm not obsessed yeah. with it anymore because I don't play anymore, but I'm passionate about it now. And it's, mm-hmm. it's a hobby or like, I'm passionate about like other things. Like I'm passionate about golf. I like playing golf. Like mm-hmm. I'm never going to be a par golfer because I'm not obsessed with it, but I am obsessed with how to build a business. So I know that this business will, you know, eventually be very, very successful. It will take a long time, but I think so many entrepreneurs are like one foot in one foot out. And that's not a bad thing at the start in the sense of like, I think so many people tell people that like, you need to quit your nine to five right now and go into something and just start to, to get yeah. there. And like, I believe that to an extent, but I mm-hmm. believe in doing it the way that I did it. Like mm-hmm. I would never have not like, quit my nine to five two years ago and gone into building a business when I didn't have anything started. Now mm-hmm. I quit my nine to five when I already had a very successful speaking career and business set up. And now I'm transitioning that into a bigger business and I quit because I wanted to be able to grow that, but I already had a very good stream of income coming. I wasn't quitting from zero. Yeah. You had that cushion. Hmm. So I only have two more questions. Um, what impact do you want to make for people who have disabilities? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just showing people that the impossible is possible. You know, you can accomplish mm-hmm. anything you want you know, despite the circumstances you're in, if you put in, you know, the the time and the effort to your goals. That's really good advice. And my last question is my favorite question. I ask every guest and it pays homage to what my podcast originally was, but if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you not go? Where would I not go? (laughs) Um, (laughs) um i i I don't know the middle of the sahara desert like okay (laughs) i don't know it doesn't seem like there's much there (laughs) that's a really interesting question i've never been asked that good where would you go um i've I've been to australia once i I absolutely love like australia new zealand and and would love to go back at some point that's a good answer thank you for being on the show Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Okay. So if my guests or if my listeners were to find you, where should they find you? Yeah. So, um, you know, my, my personal website is aaronglob.com, but (laughs) sorry, the new company website is initiateconnections.com and feel free to reach out if I can help in any way. Aaron at aaronglob.com is my email and and happy to respond and, and help any way I can. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. That was my interview with Aaron Golub. I hope you liked this episode as much as I did. I think Aaron is such a good example of someone who could turn a challenge like being blind into changing a mindset and really establishing himself in sports and business. And I think he did such a good job of creating that mindset at a young age. So I was really inspired by his story and his drive and his grit. If you liked this episode, I encourage you to check out my other episodes. My guests are truly amazing, and it's incredible the things that they've accomplished. 
And please, if you'd like to reach out to me, I would love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on all platforms. My handle is usually Kara Orbell or Carolyn Orbell. Thank you once again for tuning in, and I can't wait to see where you go. Bye!